the Tenuous Links podcast, home of the Golf Barons. Offering bloviated opinions on all things golf, discussing the game's biggest problems and some solutions to them as loosely as possible. Come add some swagger to your swing. Hello Barons and welcome to another exciting episode of Tenuous Links. I've taken the reins, uh, much to Damo's chagrin, uh, but in my great delight, joining us is the wordsmith himself, Mr. Damien Shooty. Damo, how are you going? Philly, great to be here sitting in your seat. It's a little warm. You've warmed it up for me. <laughs> Jeez, you don't have much to live up to. <laughs> or you got to get immediately. You have to get angry. Uh, that's what that seat does. Yeah. Oh, do I? Is that, <laughs> is that, is that, that, that's, that seat's job. Oh, hello, Phil. Hello, Phil. Hello, Phil. That, that's enough from you. And in more exciting news for our listeners, we have PJ Tour, caddy to the superstars, and one of the greatest coaches as self-nominated of all time, Kipper. Yeah, g'day. <laughs> now, just before we get on with things, I just want to remind everybody that you can catch season two of Golf Barons on. Uh, Fox Sports 503 on KO uh, or Foxtel On Demand, um, which is certainly the best way to find it at the moment. Um, But we've got some exciting things to talk about today, and more importantly, things that relate to golf all day, every day, when you're playing an event or otherwise. And it revolves around why is it so much harder to lead than to chase? So when it comes to the game of golf, we always find that some people thrive on leadership. They thrive on being out front. And in fact, in sport and life in general. And others, as soon as they're at the front, are looking over their shoulder, wanting for someone to take over, which is the whole reason a peloton exists. So gents, when you think about people who love to lead in sport, who do you immediately think of and who comes to mind? We'll start with you, Kipper. I don't know why. I go to your sport, Philip. I go to basketball. (laughs) And just leaders, like you got your Jordans and your LeBrons and your Kobe's, they're go-to, always have been. Um, Take the take the game and, and, and run with it. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll throw them out straight away. And the idea of demanding that last shot of the game. they want These are people who want the ball in their hand. Yeah, and even if they don't demand it, like the famous pass off to Kerr um, from Jordan, even if they don't demand it, they they, they run it. They, they own the moment. And the, the, you know, they, they dictate what's going to happen. They make sure, you know, I guess, whatever they've got going through their mind is the outcome. Um, and then that's, that's a... I guess not a bullish trait, but it's a confidence, isn't it? Like a, a thing where you just, you know what, I'm going to make this happen. I don't care how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to make this happen. They want it. I think the the greatest example of it happens to be in our sport. Always. I think Tiger absolutely is the number one when it comes to that. He always, he loves to have the lead. He always wants the lead. Um and has shown he's pretty pretty uh, formidable once he has it. Yeah, well, it was an amazing you know, stat years ago. Remember when he'd never lost a lead? <laughs> Ever. Mm-hmm. Right, were, until Y, y- <laughs> Yang, I think it was, it stitched him up. Yeah, um, it was, that yeah. was, yeah, in yeah. a major. Yeah, he'd never, never like, lived and that's a, win. That's a phenomenal <laughs> stat. It's, it's probably his yeah. most famous stat because what we're about to discuss here, it's, it's, it's bloody tough to lead. Well, it, fl- it flies in the face of... Th- what we're talking about that you know that it's harder to harder to lead or hold that lead than it is to chase he's 
he's an absolute outlier in that mm, respect. Yeah, yeah. Because when you when you I suppose chasing, you got unfinished business, <laughs> so you can't switch off or you can't protect. You got to go. And but when you're the other way around, yeah, you got all sorts of heebie-jeebies going through your mind. Is this enough? <laughs> Can I hold on? Do I need to put the foot down? And I think the terminology that you just used then, Kipper, of chase versus protect. If we go back to the U.S. Open uh, and John Rahm. Uh, and even Bryson, and to a lesser extent, Brooks. It was, I am going out to win. Others were providing themselves, and as we discussed in our US Open rap pod, others were, were, were giving themselves safety blankets and outs, such as when Russell Henley said, you know, I, I don't need it. He has faith, Phil. Because he has faith. Um, like, a little bit like George, George Michael, Michael, he had faith yeah. too. <laughs> um, but, but in terms of there, is, there are those who chase it, and even when they're leading... They're so desperate for success, they chase it. And others, and that's the Vince Lombardi thing, isn't it? Is that, you know, winning winning is not is the only thing. It was um, winning. It's not winning's one thing. Not everything it's the only thing, isn't that in? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's the mindset. So, so therefore, and we'll get stuck into a little bit of, and these aren't facts, but I'm going to give some examples, and particularly around. I love golf. your fact samples. <laughs> It wouldn't be our show if they were facts. Uh, we won't call it too much data-ish. But, but so when you think of people that leading may not sit so comfortably with when it comes to golf, would you like to throw some names at me? You go first, James. I was going to say pretty much everyone else. Um, who I'd say Bubba would, would battle a little bit out in front. There'd be a few voices in his head, I would think. A little bit of, oh, God, here they come. <laughs> Adam Scott hasn't exactly got the best track record, but I'm sure that, that might be a bit harsh. There's, look, there's plenty. I think, there's, I think the majority of the field who aren't these absolute jets who, who want to win at all costs... I think I think yeah I think that a lot of them would rather be chasing and, and journeymen come to mind a lot where you know if you're out there for on tour that is um, any tour it doesn't matter what it is for for decades which some of these guys and girls are and still never fall over the line right there becomes that point that when you are in contention is this my only chance ever right um, there's a famous story and I'm spewing I can't remember the players but um, make them up the famous st- hey, yeah I'll make them up so Bill was on the fairway <laughs> with, with, oh, with, his, with his cat with his caddy Peter and um, they're on the last hole I forget what tournament it was but it's a real, this is a real story by the way um, and he'd never won on tour for I think it was 27 years. I forget. It was. This is about 15 years ago. This story. And um, anyway, he's come to the last hole, and he's tied for the lead, par five over water, and he could get there. And he started chatting to his caddy about laying up, and um, the caddy refused to show him the yardage book. <laughs> he said, "I'm not showing. I'm not, I'm not showing you the yardage book." <laughs> and he's like, "Well, I need a layout number." He's like, "You're not laying up." And they had this massive argument on 18, to the point where the caddy apparently grabbed the clubs, like bear hugged them and took his glasses off and took his hat off and just looked him in the face and says, I've been out here for my entire life with you. He caddy for him for like 20-something years. And he goes, and we've been so close and lost so many times. He goes, there's never going to be a greater opportunity for us to win a tournament ever. And by God, I am not letting you take the easy road. We're just going to win it or we're going to lose it. And that's that. And he said, so to fly that area is whatever it was, 225. And, and here's your three wood. <laughs> and the guy looked at him and apparently just was like, fair enough. And, and it's all of a sudden, losing wasn't the worry. You know, he'd, he'd, he'd done it. Like, I guess that's the point of the story. He'd, he'd made him realise that, well, I've lost all my life. I've never won, right? So I'm not, don't 
don't care about losing anymore. Winning is the only option here. And blue three went over the over the water and uh, two part for birdie and one. And uh, I'd love to remember who that was, but um. Anyway, it's a very famous caddy story because the, the, all the caddies got around him and it was quite emotional for him, really, because he'd, he'd been there his whole life. They call them lifers when you've been out there for that long as a caddy. And, and finally, he got over the line as a caddy, but he played over the line. And it was a bit like, you know, bugger lugs from Europe a, f- a few weeks ago. Um, was that uh, who, who went over there? Um, Bland. Bland, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Richard Bland. Um, so, yeah, a bit like, like that story. And... And that's that can be in the end you're in mindset, isn't it? You've got nothing to lose. So the idea of the idea of chasing. I'm going to give you some examples which we um, touched on in a previous pod anyway about this idea of when you chase and when you chase hard or when you make a comeback. And you know you go to 1950 at Merion with with Hogan, his seventh tournament back from his car accident. You get um, Hogan being chased down by Jim Fleck, um, Billy Casper chasing down Arnold Palmer when Palmer was seven up with nine to play. Uh, in 66. Uh, at Olympic, you got Johnny Miller started the day six behind in 73 at Oakmont and hit all 18 greens. Um, he shot 6-3 in that tournament, didn't he? He, he shot 63 in the last round and hit every green in regulation. Um, Hale went four shots behind after three rounds. But that idea of chasing, and that's in 1990. Tiger at Torrey, though, the flip side of that, was getting chased the whole time. And still and overcoming. And just said, yeah. I'm, just not, I'm just not losing. And then more recently... Um, in reality, when we look at the Women's US Open again with Yuka Sasa, I mean, Lexi, she was five behind with 13 to play. The real Rory. The real Rory. Um, where, where, again, one of the greatest quotes of all time is the best. Anyway, no, I won't go back there about Rory. But, um, in fact, I will. The best, quote, unquote, Tony Crowswell, the best Rory swing has held up over the last five years under pressure was with Yuka Sasa. <laughs> um, but then we go to other majors. Uh, so now, now we've got sort of the the I don't I'm not as comfortable being in the lead, uh, and despite all the interviews that say how comfortable they were when they were in the lead, and I'm not talking about anyone that I'm about to mention, um, there must have been something else going on, and I'm going to blame the caddies in a minute. Adam Scott, 2012 oh, Royal, he didn't uh, four up with four to play. We we, um, we all blame Stevie Williams for this though, Phil. Um. I think, yeah, no, I'm going to get on to some Kipper. Oh, sorry, not Kipper well, bashing, caddy bashing. That's the same thing, really. Um, <laughs> he only played one bad hole, really, in that four hole stretch, didn't he? He really I didn't. Um, and, having, <laughs> and having re-watched it a number of times, you know, not quite as many times as 96, but 15 and 17, he hit shots into the worst possible spots. Yeah, but what's Stevie uh, doing putting a bloody three wood in his hands? So he stood on 18T. He stood on 18T. The 18 only place he could miss. And mm. if he took three wood and flushed it, he is right up against the face of Bunker and took three wood and flushed it. Um, and, and there's a lot of conversation around, you know, it was the right play. But the reality is it didn't work out. So I don't remember the theory of it being the right play. I remember the practicality of it being the wrong play. Mm. Um, you've got your mate, Johnny Vandervelt. Well, hang on. Before you go there, Phil, I reckon I, I just have a little conspiracy theory around that, no, around no. Stevie. I reckon it was a Kiwi payback for the underarm incident in 1981. <laughs> I reckon he just wanted to get get the Australians back, and he knew that would be the the best way to do it. Bloody Kiwis! Yeah, wouldn't have anybody. <laughs> Which is why he gave him good reads at the Masters. Is that the theory? Yeah. Well, he he felt he, he felt we're all even after that. And uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so Vandervelt. I mean, just in terms of some other people not coping so well with leadership. So well. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's it's the benchmark it of all it benchmarks is. in any sport in, that's ever been played, right? The Vanderbilt. That's all it needs you to be You look up Choke in the dictionary and there's a photo of yeah. a Frenchman. <laughs> but, but, he, but as it's been pointed out, and pointed out by Kipper uh, in a podcast um, that might or might not have pressed record on, but it, it was he was a little unlucky with his second shot, to be fair, but he was just stupid to have ever been into any of the positions that he was in. So therefore, this is where the cutting choking versus players choking will come in. Norman, and I love to talk about Norman 90, you know, 96, one of, one of my greatest Monday mornings of all time in my entire life because in Australia we have to watch it on a Monday morning because of the time zone difference. I love that. You know, it, it gives me thrills seeing Feldo run Norman down and shatter and break the hearts of every young Australian wanting to cheer on the shark and get him a green jacket. Tom, I wonder how many sessions you've actually had via a psych with that, mate, because it still burns, doesn't it? Potentially. Thomas Bjorn, Royal St. George's. Three up with four to play. Didn't get the job yeah. done. Just couldn't keep it who, out. Who won that? Wasn't it? What year was that? That was Ben Curtis, Paul, 2013. So, so I don't do or whatever year it was. No, Ben Curtis was two thousand whatever year it was. I don't do research, um, but the point is, the point is, is there's leadership and then there's being chased and looking over your shoulder. So, my first question is, at what point in time is a lead deemed uncomfortable versus a lead being deemed comfortable? So, is six shots ahead more pressure on the leader than being one shot ahead, and is being six shots behind less pressure on a chaser? than being two shots behind. I don't know. I mean, look, who knows, I guess, they answer that because you're not in these players' heads. But I reckon if I led by two, I'd start to get the heebie-jeebies. Because <laughs> one, I reckon you have to still think about playing good golf. Two, you're like, I can stuff up here and still win. <laughs> so I reckon for me to be two. I reckon it's a great question, Phil. Kipper, when you were on the bag of these guys, would you have rather had a two-shot lead going into the final round or be two shots behind? Realistically, I, I always lead, always. But but I, I made a point of um, talking to my guys about that situation if before it even got to that, uh, on how we would then react. Do we read lord, uh, leaderboards? Do you want me across leaderboards um, throughout the entire day? Are we not looking at leaderboards? Is there a point in time where we look at leaderboards? Um, where where does that all fit into the psyche of it? Allenby was really good like that. He he was like, uh, I just want to know where I am at all times. Uh, because I need to know when to put the foot down if I need to. Um, Bads couldn't care less either. He was very much, I don't, I'm just playing my own game. You don't even have to tell me what people are really? doing unless I need to make. Yeah, See, I've, I've never yeah. believed it when players say that they're just they're just playing their game against the course and never looking at the leaderboard. Like surely you have to change your approach depending on what's happening around you. I, I, only honestly, I reckon that that approach changes two. Let me rephrase that. It changes about three times. Uh, on a four-round tournament. Your approach on how you um, attack the course changes on the back nine on Friday before the cut mm-hmm. line. If you're around it or hovering, you need to be smart and, and you can't be cavalier and cost yourself a chance of playing the weekend and then making a run. So Friday afternoon's a very big time to switch on, uh, know what the cut line is. If, if, it, if it's applicable, you might be doing really well. But nine times out of ten, it's the, you know the cut's actually not far off the leaders, so you have to actually you know be quite um, cognizant of where you are. So that's the first time you switch on and look at leaderboards. The second time that you play the course, um, but not play your opponents, is Saturday. You go nuts and you try to shoot darts and you do whatever you can to make the biggest jump up that leaderboard you physically can. So you don't really 
I can't even remember ever actually having a discussion in the 10 years I was out there ever about who was doing what on Saturday, except for yourself. So that'd be, that'd be the next time. And the third time is, is only really, it's not, not so much the start of the final round, even if you're in the hunt or leading by even however many. Um, it's, it's really back nine on, on Sunday, being aware of what the situation is, because you're silly if you're not. Because, you know, like Ram did on, on Sunday, sometimes you have to have a go. And other times you can just simply play some good golf coming in and go, that's enough. I don't need to be stupid here. And further to your point, Philly, like a, <laughs> like a Scotty at the, um, the British Open, if you choose to play safe golf, you better be very committed to playing safe golf. And that's why most players get, um, you know, hauled over the coals for picking clubs like that three wood on, on 17, uh, sorry, on 18 and so on for Scotty is that they, people see that as an error. Why didn't he just, you know, hit a five iron down there and hit another seven iron to the green? And because as soon as you start playing protective golf, usually it's hard to commit as much as you do to full-blooded, you know, executed, let's make kind of birdies or, or proper par um, holes golf. So to answer your question, Philly, uh, 20 shots I'd feel comfortable with. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 20 to 22, something around there. Because there's a point where you can't be half safe, but I'm intrigued by this idea that Saturday, I'm prepared to go out and win or lose a tournament on a Saturday, but I'm not prepared to go out and win or lose a tournament on a Sunday. So so whereas, whereas I don't believe that Rahm's approach changed if we use the most recent US Open. I don't believe Bryson's approach changed. And I don't believe Tiger's approach changed in terms of that no no victory that you know i'm either the winner or i'm just another one well yeah look yes you, you, in terms of them changing they but they've got to be strategic phil about how they go about trying to shoot the best score they can because in the end of the day you could be very simple about this and go as long as they play the best golf and shoot the best score they can it doesn't matter what anyone shoots you 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 either get the job done or someone goes a bit deeper than you but you couldn't have done any more right so that's the simple answer to it yeah shoot the best is score that the non-sport right? psychologist answer <laughs> well, but, well but, but but it's not as easy as that because if you think you think about um Pin placements, for example, really, on, on let's call it Sunday versus usually a traditional Saturday at a golf course, they're completely different, right? The, the greens from, from Saturday to Sunday are completely different. So all of a sudden your strategic mindset of trying to shoot darts and, and hole, um, you know, and make birdies isn't actually quite possible sometimes on Sunday pin positions. So it, it doesn't become about, sh uh, I guess the mindset doesn't become about, oh, let's stiff this and make birdie. It's, I can't stiff this and make birdie. Where do I have to play to make par, which is my kind of best score? Can I make a snake? Whereas then the mindset, sh uh, mindset shifts and go, well, this isn't a hole that I should be going at the pin because I've got about two metres to land this sucker. Otherwise, I'm over the back and I'm taking double, or I'm in that front pot and I can't get up and down, but I have to go for it because I can't just walk around here with pars and get this job done. So that's the shift in your mind. It's not, it's not I guess, just about shooting the best score. It's about, this is a stupidly risk-reward shot, but I've got no choice. I've got to do it. So the conversation around Johnny Miller, going back to the 73 season, is that he started to hit the ball so well that he wanted his caddy to give him half yard yardages. Not full yard. So when you say, I've got to land it in a two-meter zone, someone who is in complete control of their game says, just tell me where to land it, I'm in. And John Rahm made the point after the US Open, he said, I, I was just pursuing flag sticks. And not foolishly, 
but I was pursuing flag sticks. That's you, right. You know, you know, sports psychologists have a name for this phenomenon, Phil. It's a, it's a little bit of a controversial one, but it's um, it's called they call it psychological momentum. So have you have you heard a little no, bit? No, I'm about looking that? forward to. I thought this was about to be a piss take, by the way. It is. So I'm all no, in. No, I'm in Philly <laughs> seat now. I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I remember I'm in Philly seat. I've got to got to bring something cerebral to it. <laughs> oh, here we go. But no, this phenomenon called psychological momentum. Um, so dumbed right down, that's basically that unquantifiable thing that we see in sports where where players and athletes get on an unstoppable roll or or they spiral out of control so it sort of works both ways but working in your favor psychological momentum would be like um when you get on a run of four or five or six birdies you've seen this kipper where every putt sort of becomes every putt you roll in makes the next one easier and birdies just seem to seem to happen confidence is absolutely flying they're sky yep. high and they've got this sort of air of invincibility about them. Tiger's yep. obviously a, a prime example of that. You know, Philly, to, to use a basketball term, you know, um, insert name here, you, you, Philly's on fire. When you hear them when they, they cannot miss, every time they, they put it up, it drops. Um, it's this incredibly powerful, intangible force to a degree. But in golf, in golf, we've probably it's probably what we call the Tiger effect. Because it can work negatively as well. When you see when Tiger was in the field uh, and leading, or, or not even leading, coming from behind, the rest of the field felt this this pressure coming behind them. And you saw we saw it time and time again, people falling apart with that. And when it swings against you, it's kind of, it's when you start to lose that, that real focus. You've all heard the terms, like you're trying too hard. And when you when you do that, it sort of makes more mistakes happen and one mistake begets the next. And before you know it, you're in this downward spiral. And, and there are examples of this in, in all sports. Cricket's a, a great one. You see batting collapses. And if you're an Aussie fan, you've seen far too much of that in recent years. But golf... If you're a Melbourne Stars yeah, fan, exactly. you never want to see cricket again. <laughs> but golf's a classic example that when, when things start to go pear-shaped, they can really spiral out of control. And Philly's already mentioned... A couple of occasions where that's happened on the big stage and it might just be from something as simple as missing a short putt and it just throws your mind and then you block one off the tee on the next and yeah this psychological momentum uh, is a really really interesting phenomenon but but that, that 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 basically if you put that point and the, the the point I made before about choosing to go or not to go in terms of you, you've you've got a decision sometimes to make on, during a tournament that's exactly what can happen and what Tiger did I think to, to his peers is put yourself in this situation, right? Tiger is leading into the final round of any tournament. You know that he's won every tournament that he's ever led in. So he doesn't choke. So you know that before you tee off. So you go out there and you get to the you birdie first two holes. You got a nice start. You get to the third hole and the pin's tucked on a Sunday uh, on some sort of part of the green and you've got bugger all space to land this in. And you know that making pars is not going to get the job done. That's a decision that that on a Thursday or Friday, um, and even really on a Saturday because they wouldn't have that pin, you don't have to make. You just go, okay, let's play Harley Green, um, maybe make a 20-footer, right? But on the Sunday, that's where that you've got to go for it. You've got no choice, right? Because otherwise you're not going to win. And, and your momentum... It can keep going, but further to your point, Dames, it also also puts pressure on the, the people trailing because they know that they they can't just flub around and make make the the or end up getting the job done. They got to actually you know put the, the put foot down, and as a result, they can cost themselves tournaments 
and fall over, which we saw that with Tiger a lot of the times. People just making errors and then Tiger winning by not doing a heap in the final round. And to your point that Tiger, that the field knows that Tiger doesn't choke, it's also as much that Tiger knows Tiger doesn't choke. Absolutely. So in those last rounds, if you watch a lot of his scores, he didn't go nuts at all, right? And a lot of his victories, he just plays consistent golf. It's right? that perceived and, pressure, isn't it? Yeah. Because he knows that at any point, if someone gets near him or, or uh, equals a lead or, can, or goes past him, then he puts the foot down. And, he, and he's got the, the ability to do that. Um, but he doesn't need to. So therefore, he's risking way less than they are just for them to, just to catch him. Okay, so now we're going to talk about we'll talk about leading um, versus chasing, and why it is actually so much harder to lead than chase, lead than chase. And there's when you think about quotes, they talk about the thrill of the chase, but what's the thrill of the lead? I mean, you, you try and Google a good quote on leading a, a, <laughs> that you can apply to a golf event that doesn't exist, other than something along the lines of a champion is afraid of losing. And this is a quote from Billie Jean King: "A champion is afraid of losing. Everyone else is afraid of winning," um, which I think is a really you know, came to its fore on, on Sunday at the US Open, you know, in the lead-up where Russell Henley made that comment after round three. I don't need to win it. So, uh, you know, it's it's a real mindset shift. But can you imagine Tiger ever or Jack yeah. ever saying that? Not even saying it, thinking uh, they, it. They couldn't. They couldn't. It couldn't come out of Jack Nicholas's mouth. Oh, I don't, I don't need to win but, this. But <laughs> Just it's never going to happen. But why is it so much harder to lead than chase? Why is it, and does it, tend and lend itself to Tiger's further to Tiger's greatness that he just loved leading or was actually the, the biggest thing about Tiger leading is that nothing ever changed whether he was hunting or leading because it was always just his mood never changed his tone never changed other than when he started holding some big puns yeah well I, I think that comes down to the thing that uh, people don't talk enough about with Tiger and he's probably the strongest part of that uh, man's game was always his mental ability over anybody you know Earl trained that part of his um his son from the tiniest of ages so he was unflappable uh, and he knew it he knew he, he had, had a stronger mind than any of those other players so I think the leading aspect for him became fun because he's like I've got this over you probably physically but I know I've got it over you mentally and therefore, I can lead all day long. Whereas guys that and girls that haven't had an opportunity to lead that often, they get into that position and they probably actually don't know the answer to that, do they? They don't know if they've got what it takes. Um, so, so it becomes harder to lead. So they're afraid of winning. And this is the point, though, about becoming afraid of winning. Like if it's, if it's not a habit, they're, they're at the front. And I, don't, I don't know what to do because maybe their mind shifts to, well, I haven't prepared a speech. Or, you know, I, I, I'm just not sure where to from here. And we actually see it in other sports. I mean, more recently, NBA playoffs. Um, Utah Jazz, they were three zip up in the series. And so 3-1, you go, oh, it's okay. We only need to win one more. And it's like a soccer game. There's 3-2. Oh, hang on a minute. If they, sco- if they score the next one. So surely fundamentally here, it it's all comes down to focus and losing focus at the most important part. Yeah. I was going to say a, a story about... Um uh, Allenby when he won the uh, Triple Crown in the middle of that run we ran well, the, the middle tournament was the PGA in um, Queensland and we came into that final round trailing and we, we were uh, in the final group with um, uh, Nathan Green and I remember as we walked onto the tee uh, Robert on purpose wanted to put like the he, he wanted to be the boss the, the, the king on that tee I absolutely needed that um, psychological edge going into the round so 
we'd basically set up what we were going to do before we walked on the on the tee, right? And uh, showing what would be termed a little bit as arrogance because we needed to own it. So what we did is we walked onto the tee wherever Nathan was with his uh, caddy Shannon. They were standing there. We let them walk on first, right? We, we said, we're not walking on no matter what. We're going to walk on last. I don't care if we nearly get a two-shot penalty. So they walked on. Then we walked on. Of course, the crowd claps us. We put my bag down in front, so we blocked their bags um, and, and their, let's call it, view of the tee block. So we stood right in front of them. So we were, we were first there. Well, not first there, but looked first. Then I walked across the tee block and I went to the, um, the drinks bin and I yelled out across the tee on purpose, Rob, what do you want, mate? Like really, probably kind of rudely or obnoxiously, he's like, I don't care, whatever. So I'll have like, you right. So I grabbed him a Gatorade and I threw it straight across the tee block. Right? And he caught it and he's like, oh, yeah. And he, he threw something, he said something back. You're and fine. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, so keep me on your toes. Right? And walked back and just absolute bravado on that first tee. Right? Just because we knew that we needed it to be over them that we'd done this before many times right we'd never rob's never lost a playoff right so don't let it get to that and you better win on the course so so you know we wanted to own that before it even got to it so there's mind games you can play i suppose when you're not leading two people that are leading so is it is it a fear of of winning because the other thing i mean when you're competing i mean if you're let's say it's it's a a one-on-one thing you know this idea of when your opponent's got a wry smile and you're sitting there going, "What do you, what do you know that I don't know? Like, what, what is it?" And, and so the minute you've got this fear of, of winning, the second guessing comes in. Purely just mental. We won't do. We'll, we'll deal with physical and technique in a minute, but purely the approach of, of is it is it a fear of winning and being the the point man or woman or whatever we're allowed to say. I can't um, apply this to golf, Philly, because I've never led any golf. Uh, <laughs> well, the charity uh, day. Or won anything the, the in golf. The charity day up on uh, the Gold Coast that you got stitched group. up on. But I can apply it to, because we played a lot of cricket finals. We've, we've you know, lucky enough to have won quite a bit few Bit of a flags. big deal. And it got to a point <laughs> where um, I had to, because I've seen, I've seen, play, I've seen teams absolutely crumble under that kind of pressure. And I identified pretty early on what it was and it's they're afraid I don't know I don't think it's necessarily they're afraid of winning but they're so afraid of making mistakes and Mm. then those mistakes being the cause of not winning and so I used to you know speak to these guys when I was one of the older statesmen uh, and give them the advice of guys don't be afraid of making mistakes you'll make mistakes but go out with a mindset of positivity and aggressive and be aggressive don't get caught don't let them dictate to you if you're going to go out, you go out on your terms. Yeah, and and it and it made such a different difference. You know, three flags in a row. You get these kids starting to understand what winning was because it really is, as you say, Phil. It's a habit, and it's you got to learn how to do it. Mm. And and for, for the US listeners out there, it's it's an interesting one. Cricket. If if you if you think about your baseball that that uh, obviously everyone loves over in the states, imagine a, a at batter could stay at bat for the entire game right and just let every ball go right that's what can happen in cricket and you can let every ball go every ball go every ball go and your only job is to not go out right so your your mindset goes from winning to don't lose right and that's what happens in golf a lot is that 
I don't think people are afraid of winning at all, but they're afraid of, as further to Dame's point, they're, they're afraid of making a mistake. They're afraid of losing because of their own inability to execute. Whereas if they thought the other way, and you've seen it in test cricket, remember Ben Stokes went nuts and, and won a test from where he never should have won. Don't, don't, we don't mention that. No, 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 no. But but that Tim Payne, I need a word with you. Yeah, but that's the that's the kind of the change in a, in mental that can happen when you go from I need to win to don't don't lose. But while we're on that, just on cricket, very quickly. I mean, the effects are, I think are, are highlighted more in cricket as well. Like when you see a when you see batsmen just out there trying to survive, it's like. It's like a, a pride of lions around an injured impala. It's death like by they can t- smell. They can smell the blood, which is why nowadays the, the mentality seems to be, no, no, play your shots. Don't get caught back, you know, letting them dictate to you. We've, we all saw Warney back in the day. Oh, my God. You could you felt sorry for the batsman at the other end just trying to survive because you're like, it's just, you're a dead man walking. Other than Daryl Collender, we didn't feel sorry for him. No. But, the, but this idea of... Um, so, so a, a coaching philosophy or, or attitude with kids is never let the scoreboard dictate the attitude or the intent or the effort. So, you know, ne- never look up at the scoreboard and say, I will now go harder or not go as hard because of the results of, of what I'm seeing up there. So, Kipper, getting back to your point about, um, and to, to sound overly technical, Occam's Razor says the most th- simple theory is often the most accurate often one, which is one, play yeah. your best. Like, don't overthink it. So the minute you start over, if I've got two theories, which is let's plot my way around the world versus let's dumb this right down and let's just play and execute the best we can. And Damo, to your point, yeah. when you're playing cricket, in cricket shots or, you know, trust trust whether it's a fastball or a curveball and don't swing at the one that you can't hit. You know, there, there's those elements to it. But as Tiger said, uh, and, he, you know, one of his great quotes that did come back to bite him a little bit on the arse, but winning solves everything. But it takes a lot of courage to win. Yeah, but but also Phil, it's 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 harder with golf than maybe any sport ever to, uh, as you say, play just play your just play good golf, just go play your best golf, because decisions have to be made on the attack side of things, and also on the safety side of things. So look, look Uz, um, Uzazen's uh, last, uh, not last, sorry, seventeenth um, hole where he obviously pulled it left. You know, he had. 45 acres to the right to yeah. hit that ball and he could have missed the fairway and probably then the and not can't hit the green because of the rough yeah. and all the rest of it. Not yeah, it's all right. Or he could lay back and, and hit like a, a hybrid up there, right? But he's thinking, I need birdie, right? And because he's already won behind, he knows he's got the last hole, but he's not thinking, let's boo the last hole and get in the playoff. And he's not backing himself in to make an eagle on the last hole to win. He's thinking, let's go birdie, birdie and finish this thing. So he tugs the ball maybe five yards. Yeah, That's he about didn't it. miss by much at all. No, right? From where that line was going to be awesome or even a little bit further right. It was actually, it's a pretty tough hole, that hole, right? Other than the fact you can blow it right if you're willing to, you know, take a five. But, but um, he misses that shot by a t- tiny bit and obviously costs him eventually the tournament. But I think on that tee, contrary to what a lot of people think, I don't think he's playing with scared chips. I think he's thinking, let's blow driver up there and, and knock a, a sandwich into 12 feet. He's playing to win. There's no question that Absolutely. he said, I am going to win Absolutely. this event I am not, Absolutely. and I'm not doing it in a playoff. So, so I got annoyed at some of the commentary, uh, not on TV as such, but you know, on the socials and whatnot, saying, oh, he's a choker, he's this and that. Like, he, he didn't choke. Like, he didn't. He just he, he pulled a ball a few yards offline. That's in it. attempting to win, not, a, not attempting to tie. At fifty-one Absolutely. to one, mind at fifty-one you. to one, <laughs> that would have given Damo a very, very nice holiday. So, 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 given the fact that we we talk about um, 
choking. So we've talked about the mental side. But what does pressure do to technique? And, you know, using some examples. So kicking a field goal or kicking, you know, in the NFL or kicking for goal. You know, when the whole crowd, the eyes are just on you. That putt on 18 in front of the clubhouse when they're all three quarters cut. You know, as you say, Louis drive on 17, which, which was him going for the win. Ben Simmons. End of story. So, so what pressure? What, what does pressure do? By the way, just on a quick one, I missed all of Ben Simmons, but I saw it blow up on the socials. What did he do? Just miss a thousand free throws? Uh, no, I mean other than the fact that he missed for more free throws in the history of the NBA playoffs than any team has. <laughs> did he? Really? Yeah, and uh, and wow. so not only that, and then in Game Seven he had three points and was set down for the final two minutes of the game because he was just ineffective. He had an open dunk that he chose to pa- pass off to. I mean, don't even get me started on Ben Simmons. Wow, I knew this would be a, a sore point, but um, yeah, I, I just didn't see what But we can apply this, if know. we wanted to, we could apply the whole Ben Simmons thing back to golf. And here I'm going to apply it back to golf, is that I can't play chip and run, but I'll get to third in the world, fourth in the world, fifth in the world, but don't put a chip and run in front of me. No matter where I am, I've got to hit a lob shot. Because Ben Simmons, a chip and run, a fundamental of the game of golf, is like a jump shot or a free throw. It's a fundamental. But sometimes you can be so good at every other element of the game of golf that, what well, I need a chip and run because I'm awesome at everything else. Or at some stage someone says to Ben Simmons or the person who can't chip and run, but we'll call him Ben for the purposes of this example, um, at some stage you might want to learn to chip and run, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Look, uh, it's it's a technique from a I suppose a, let's call it a nerves point of view. Um, that's the only reason a lot of people work on technique, isn't it? Right? That, that if you sort of dumb it right down, it stands right? up under pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone can hit a good shot at a driving range given enough balls. Right? But but you know, give them that one shot on the last hole with hundreds of people around playing for millions of dollars, um, it, it changes their ability because they they haven't had that autopilot kind of, uh, I suppose, swing built in over you know, however many th- millions of golf balls. So therefore, they're, they're any, I suppose, lack of execution or um, any lack of follow-through to that shot will usually result in a pretty ordinary shot because the, the technique wasn't there to, to begin with. Um, so it does. It, it affects technique enormously, actually, nerves. Kipper, can you think of a, of a player who had a poor technique who has won a lot golf swing or just a putting swing um uh, golf swing has won a lot um yeah phil mickelson he's swing and he'll tell you he's not awesome he's the greatest golfer of all time with the worst swing in my opinion um amazing actually uh even vj singh and luke donald both had pretty ordinary releases you know vj's hand come off the club through the through impact uh, and beyond, um, and Luke Donald got really flippy in the post as well. But you know, all nearly world number ones at one point, um, and um, amazing players. So you don't need an amazing, amazing technique to be an amazing player. But what Phil has that I don't think has ever been, is anyone ever has had any um, is been any better at. He's probably the greatest creative, but but then also daring golfer. Seve was amazingly creative like probably the most creative but i don't know how daring he was compared to phil i don't think i think phil just doesn't care does he right he just goes berserk with driver or whatever he all the time he hasn't got a safety bone in his body does it not come back to trust though when it comes to technique it's not about quality of technique 
It's about the ability to continue to deliver it when under when under pressure. Because if the if poor technique has got you into the lead, then poor technique can also get you the win, as long as you as long as nothing changes. And it's interesting that that with wonderful golf pros and teaching pros like yourself, Kipper, with the <laughs> the obsession go. with a pre-shot routine and slowing the game down and trying to extend it no. out to four and a half to five hours, <laughs> particularly on putts. Well, hang on, fact check. Hang on. Uh, yes, but, true. But when it comes to pressure. The the pressure all the sports psychs talk about is that oh we've got to get the pre shot you know fall back to your pre shot routine. There's got to be a point where you fall back to the technique, not what happens pre the technique, because it's not the pre shot routine that's letting you down. It's the swing, it's the bit from the start or the kick in AFL. So so we'll talk about these magnificent in using the AFL example these magnificent field kicks, and and I'm going to use Max King as an example at St Kilda. These magnificent field kicks and magnificent training kicks, yet. When, well, because of COVID, when 800 people, all family and friends, are, are cheering you on or cheering against you, um, or in front of a, a grand final crowd where there might be 90,000, things change. So what's the main thing that you see change from a, forget pre-shot routine and the fact that you've made the game too slow, talk about the swinging bit. What's the main thing that changes when someone is under pressure? It's a, a real easy. It matters. Yeah, no, no, but I didn't ask you whether it mattered. I asked you, so once they start swing, what's the main thing in the swing? I know it matters. Of course it matters. Oh, you mean that? Yeah, you know the bit where they actually hit it. Oh, no, that. Not the bit where they walk up to it and line it up for an hour and a half. No, no, well, that actually completely varies for for, for an individual. So some people, it will be that they uh, go to water with their hands. Um, Some people will get really quick, right, and... I would say if you want to put a, a stamp on the majority of people, the majority people, oh, sorry, the majority of people don't complete their backswings because they're John Rahm doesn't. So he it, did <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a great one to look at. Actually, his backswing is all completed by shoulders, and that's what people don't do when they get under pressure. If there's one sort of common flaw, I guess that's what you're asking me, Phil, is that most people don't turn into that backswing because they're so eager to hit that golf ball and get it out of the way of, as in get the situation done with, that they don't complete it, right? Um, so having that, that time, that nice kind of, let's call it, um, uh, I don't know, uh, Matsuyama type, nice turn, and then give it to it, right? None of that happens with the majority of the population when they're under pressure. Um, but, but it really varies a lot, Phil, from technique to technique, what they miss out on when the, tech, when the, uh, the heat's on. And what about then from a decision-making point of view? And, and you're using your time as a caddy um, or even playing pennant or, or shooter playing cricket or otherwise, what's the impact of of pressure on not, not only the technique, the application of the technique through making good choices? Yeah, well, I, I think like what I was before when I didn't know I had to talk about technique and I was just talking about what's the difference. When it matters, right, people's... Um, approach to the shot from both the technical point of view of hitting the golf ball, putting, or whatever part of the, the game you're doing, and the decisions around it change. It's, a, it's actually a joke. And that's where all these sports psychs come into saying pre-shot routine has to be so thorough because then then the whole process doesn't That'll change. That would be $100 an hour. Can, exactly right. But, but the thing that I argue, not argue, pre-shot routine um, can help, don't get me wrong. But further your point, Phil, doesn't make the golf swing or the execution of the skill any easier. 
at all, right? It just helps them feel comfortable about, oh, I've done that before, the pre-shot, so I certainly can probably do the swing the same. But no, it's, they're actually kind of different things, aren't they? You're just staying in the moment a little bit more. Just trying, to get, you, you're trying to get your focus, isn't it? That's, that's right. But, but I, 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 this is always the, the, the way, and you can do this down at your, um, your local golf course with your mates. You know, putt around for five or ten minutes, right? having a laugh, and then out of, the, out of nowhere... Right, when they're over a, let's call it a five or six footer, ask them, because right, you'll watch them putt for five, six minutes and they'll all be casual and laza fair, right? And then just say to them, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll buy you the next beer or I'll buy you the meal inside um, if you make that putt. And you just watch what they do. The first thing they do, I can guarantee it, is they stop. Right? Oh, okay, okay. And they walk back a few meters and they look at what the putt's going to do and some will even line the ball. They just go into this, as you point out, Phil, a massive, you know, fabricated process and take time. And then they walk in, they might even have a practice stroke and you're like, you just putted for five minutes, right? Holland putts around this green with what you perceived was, you know, an okay technique. You're surely not walking around the putting green trying to miss putts, are you? So you've walked around the putting green trying to hold putts, doing whatever you've just done and now you're doing everything different in order to hold this one putt worth of, with a beer or a palmer. So it's, it's, it's utterly ridiculous that people you know, have to concentrate more or think they do to execute their um, shot. And that's, answer your question, Phil, that's what changes the most, is, that they, is it matters and therefore they change everything when they, don't, they didn't need to. It's fascinating, actually, because, Phil, you, you did speak about um, AFL football and goal kicking, and it's exactly what Dees has just said applies to that uh, you can see it as clear as day when you see these magnificent field kickers um, and I'll use a um, being a Hawk supporter I'll, I'll, for Sam Mitchell for example magnificent left right doesn't matter what what um, leg he's kicking on he'd hit targets everywhere from impossible angles that you'd think get him in front of a goal and his technique changes or <laughs> and he was a poor set shot and one of the few guys that I've seen who kicks exactly the same for goal as he does around the ground is Sean Burgoyne. He's you can see his action is exact. It's it's identical. He could be on the run. He could be doesn't matter. He's he's and he's a phenomenal shot for goal. And in fact, it's kind of that's a teaching. I think this is a real teaching flaw because we teach a different technique uh, as a set shot for goal when you're slow, slowing it down and, um, and setting them up and they, cha- they they actually teach a different technique for goal kicking, which is why I think it's so poor. I think you're better off, as you were saying earlier, teach them to just back their technique, uh, that they use everywhere else, because that's where, that's where they're, they're going to, um, excel. So th- they're given the opportunity to practice and engulf the same thing. I mean, the, the rule of 10,000 hours uh, of 10,000 hours of, of quality, practice or quality repetition. Um, And the best in the world are consistently practicing better and practicing with more intent and applying pressure to themselves. So Shruta, when it comes to kicking for goal, what are some things that, and using that as the AFL in your your wheelhouse, what are some things that that kids can do to practice applying pressure to themselves that has an outcome or a consequence that means when they are put under the pump, um, they can actually execute? One thing that I've always taught kids to do, um, and it's something that I used to do myself, is kicking, when you're kicking for goal, is you don't focus on the goals. Like this is one of those things that people do. They, they see the obstacle rather than the destination. So whether it's um, when you're out in the field, field kicking, and you'll, you'll spot someone up wherever they are, and you know that you can hit them, well, then why not hit something 
past the goals. I always say look past the goals. So hit someone in the crowd, uh, not physically with the ball. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so that's kind of something that I think they can do. They can put pressure on. I need to hit that target. So that so you, it's that miss small. I guess you're aiming for a specific thing. And none of this is revolutionary. This is stuff that has been around for ages. But I just think we've lost sight of it a little bit. So that's it's not similar to the, that golf mantra of. Make sure you're missing small. Be specific about your target. And is that then this trying it and trust it? So Johnny Wilkinson, finally, when he was um, kicking the uh, the penalty goal to break Australia's hearts, much in the way Norman did in 1996, he used to actually aim at a person in the crowd. So that idea of aim small, uh, miss small. And, you know, shooters, um, I think Russell Diamond has spoken a lot about this idea of shooting, uh, of aim small, miss small. Um, when it came to Olympic yeah. um, skeet shooting and, and things. So is the idea that you just narrow your focus to the point where you forget technique because, in theory, you've trained it enough? 100%. Yeah, that is absolutely spot on. You'll see some of the – especially you see the the taller guys who can battle a bit with this because, obviously, one, they're tall, Phil, and, and it's a while for the blood to get down anywhere. But it's more the point that because they're taller, they're, there's more margin for error. Uh, in terms from the hand to foot. So you see a lot of the smaller guys are more compact and they're able to, you know, Luke Bruce, for example, I'm sticking with Hawthorne, beautiful set shot for goal. It's very simple, but the whole concept of, um, not to turn this into an AFL pod, but the whole that whole concept, as we we're saying, of, of being absolutely specific in where you're going and focus on the journey rather than what you're doing, you know, here. Uh, when you see the tall, a lot of the taller guys do it, or a lot, in fact, a lot of people who struggle with set shots, you can see they're worrying about their technique and how they're running and where they're holding the ball and all that sort of stuff, rather than that's where I'm going. Let's just get the ball there. So at your level of golf, then, and we'll just keep dealing with you, shooter, for now, and Kip will get onto you in a second. But at your level of golf, do you trust yourself that if you have a a, a Chip, or in fact, I'll ask a different way. What shot do you trust yourself least on from a technique? Under, under pressure. Uh, under pressure from a technique point of view. Yeah, driver, no question. Fundamentally, it comes down to I don't trust myself when I'm not under pressure with my driver. So <laughs> yeah, right. How am I going to trust it when I'm under pressure? Whereas if you flip that, I'd love, this is where you and I are probably different. You're quite comfortable with that. Whereas a little, you know, a pitch shot or a, um, a wedge shot in, I'd much rather have that. I'd love to have that under pressure. Yeah, yeah, so so we are absolutely converse in that point. In that, so we should, in theory, make a good Ambrose or scramble team, Phil, and we never do. But even then, we would get knocked off because we'd play, for example, a golf day on the Gold Coast. Not that I was invited, uh, or, or more to the point, I was invited, couldn't turn up, and a net score of forty-five will win, <laughs> and a net score of forty-five will win. But but it's a really good point about just understanding what your strengths are. So if you had to, you're under the pump, and you have to find a fairway on 18 because you are holding a one-shot lead or you are one shot behind but desperate to win, unlike Big Russ. CBX 119, Phil, <laughs> out she comes. The greatest three-wood I've ever owned. Whereby no matter what the outcome is, you, you've you confident that you've given it, made the right choice and you've given it mm-hmm. yourself the biggest opportunity. Yep. Every time. And I think that's the thing we have to take away from it from a golf point of view. All right, thanks for that, Shooter. Now, we know we know that you are a very skilled footballer and we also know that you're a very poor driver of the golf ball. But under pressure, I would take your short game over mine, but I'd take me off the tee. But Kipper, more importantly, what is the key tips that you can give people to cope with pressure when they're under the pump? And I'll give you an example. Say, for example, 
I was leading the Walker Cup by six at 13th Beach and just feeling all sorts of pressure from <laughs> Vince the Magnificent uh, and then turned to water. What could I have done differently than what I did that led to me not winning? <laughs> Well, there's two, two things probably. Uh, first of all, uh, before you get out there in that, <laughs> in, in that situation, you can actually train it a little bit, right? So, um, yeah, I'd say one of the first things you can do is start practicing under pressure. So, uh, like I've watched so many um, people do other sports and they kind of just, if it's basketball, they just shoot around, football, just kick it, um, you know, throwing just, you know, for, for baseball, just throw it around. But under pressure is a different thing. So you've got to put some, uh, I suppose, some... Uh, uh, I guess uh, ramifications to what the outcome's going to be around your practice. So for golf, um, you know, um, one of the things me and Badge used to do as young blokes when we started at, at sort of 15, 16 years old, or I started at 15, 16, he started at 12, is that we used to set up a six-foot um, putting mat at our house um, and we had to hold 100 putts in a row uh, before we could uh, either have, have our dinner or before we could um, go to bed, one of the two, right, or both. And... I can tell you now, when you get in, you're hungry and you get into the 90s, <laughs> you, start, you start to honestly feel it, right? And you hit a putt. My little putting mat was flat and then it went uphill at the, at the very end where the piece of foam is, where the ball drops in. Is that what and it was I remember, called, my little putting mat? Was that a Yeah, brand? my little putting mat. Yeah, and as I got, as it, you know, you hit it, you knew straight away because you'd done, you know, 90 of them. Um, straight away when you, when you hit it, oh no, that's r- close to being short. And your heart was in your mouth. And as it rolled that little part of it and up that little piece of foam, you're like, <laughs> come on. And it would flop in. And you just knew that that was a result purely of you being nervous and wanting it versus trying to execute. So on the very next putt you had, you know, the 94th putt, say, you certainly committed to that part because you got a do-over, you got another one, and, and you got better at being able to train under pressure and, and feel what it was like, and also know um, know a response to it, right? So a response to that was once you feel pressure, you're right, right. If I feel pressure, I'm now going to really commit. I really commit. And for me, like on a golf course, one of the things was um, Tom Crow. Um, the ex-founder of the great. Uh, the great, yeah, founder of Cobra Golf and all the rest of it. He um, he said once to Bads, we had dinner at his house, a famous story there with um, Butch Harmon and him and, oh, and uh, a few others. Well, well you've had, held I, these back well, for this podcast, I, haven't you? It was 40 or 50-odd minutes no name drop. I had, to, <laughs> I had to get a bit there somehow. So you know, I see Dame just sitting there quietly, just shaking his head. Sorry, mate. Um, I had to get him in. Anyway, yeah, he, he had a famous comment that night, which was, if in doubt, hit it hard. And, and the reason for that, yet again, is is nerves. If in doubt, execute at pace and, and be thorough, and therefore you, um, you've you got a better chance of commitment. So the first thing I would have said with the, <laughs> that Walker Cup story, Phil, is try to practice somewhere where a ramification it, it will happen if you don't hold it yep. or if you don't hit it, hit the shot. Driving range, same thing, right? Practice where you need to hold five or six shots in between, you know, maybe fence posts or, or, or trees or wherever it is. And if you don't, make yourself um, accountable for that. So that's the first thing. But be disciplined and enough s- to actually make yourself accountable. This is the big deal. Is, is not give yourself the out. If you want yes. to improve, you need to say, I am running a lap if yep, I miss Absolutely. This. Well, there's another, another story with me and Bads as young blokes. We used to go to um, a dri- Albert Park driving range, a driving range in Melbourne, and, and very busy driving range. And we used to make, we played target golf, and if we didn't get a certain amount in the zone, we had to do push-ups. Right, so there you'd be at the driving range, two little idiot kids that no one knew, and you'd hit miss that shot, and you had to get down and do your push-ups, and you looked like an idiot, 
right? And you felt like an idiot. <laughs> but as someone there, you actually then felt a bit nervous over that fourth or fifth ball because you knew, if I don't do this, they're going to look at me again. And it was almost like, you know, you got people then looking at you, which then put more pressure on you. Um, and just last thing on that, I remember also one of the little tips we did at a driving range, um, we got taught this from the state team, is most people go to the driving range and they'll get their bucket of balls and go to the far end or out of the way, uh, you know, do their little practice and whatnot. We were told to do our practice right where people walk onto the driving range. So everyone could see you. Great um, advice. And absolutely. So you're under the pump all the time. And also, roll a ball out on your mat. And if you see somebody walking down the driving range, time your run to hit the ball when they're within a metre or two of your um, of your bay so that they're clearly aware that you're about to swing it. They're clearly going to see where the ball goes. And yet again, you're under pressure to execute. Um, and they might even stop if you hit a good one. And they're like, oh, that guy's hit a good one. And so they roll another ball immediately, right? Don't, 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 you know, pans you around and just, just not, not, um, you know, pretend you're all good. Hit, get another one out and try to execute in front of them. Even look at them and go, oh, yeah, you know, as in not showing off, but just putting yourself under the gun. So that's the first one. Second one would be, Philip, is um, once you're out there and you're ill, Ill prepared <laughs> for nerves. Um, the second one would be making sure that you um, uh, try to put yourself in a situation where you've done that before. So, you know, I don't know where the situation was out there for playing, but if you had like a 10 footer down the hill and you needed to make it, try to think about a time when you've done that before, right? Um, or if you have never done it before, treat it as an excitement thing. Geez, I've never hold a 10 footer under, under pressure. Um, when it's when it's needed so let's make this a first right and so you're you're thinking you know let's call it a positive light about either um you know once when you've done it before or geez i've never done this so let's do it right don't ever think geez i've never done it so i don't know if it's any good or i'm not going to be able to do it try to go the other way and put yourself in a in a position of dominance over the shot uh, whatever that might be flop shots a perfect example i've seen so many people have a testy little flop shot um coming in when they needed to get up and down and they they getting real nervous over it um and one of the good tips there would be you know dare to be great right uh, you know step up try to hit a shot you've never hit if you have to hit that shot but geez commit to it right and, and give it a go and dare to be great and if you stuff it up you can walk up with your head old high and go to your friends well look i dared to be great i, I stuffed it up and they'll they'll hold you in higher esteem because you had a go so that's the other thing you can do on course is if you've never done it before um you know just pretend you've done it or think back to a time when you've done it and that was rum and that was bryson and that was even louis in the us open was i'm going to do everything to win and brooks i'm going to do everything to win i'm going mm. to dare to be great as opposed to protect mm. my victory uh last question before we get on to one of your fabulous tales from the tour would you rather lead or chase oh 100 lead Oh, because it, you know, just think about the math of it. You're in front. You don't have to catch up, <laughs> right? So yeah. be simple about that. Don't be scared of that. And that's something I think in any sport, but, but mainly golf, because it's all about holding a lead or getting in the lead or at some point leading, right? So if you're worried about being in the lead, gee, go away and work on that because you need to be able to lead because that's the only way you win. So whether you're leading by 12 or leading by one at the end of the day, you still have to have the lead. So you might as well be comfortable in those shoes. And just the last part on that, I remember as a young bloke, my biggest learning curve from shooting low scores, or let's call it leading, but you know, shooting low scores against yourself. When I was very young, I was playing off 12 handicap and my coach kept saying to me, you'll have a standout round one day and you'll start to learn a little bit about how to handle that. 
and this one day playing off 12, I just got lucky. Started holding parts and hitting the ball amazing. And I uh, made the turn at um, three under the card, and which I'd never even been close to par before in my life. A birdie 10, birdie 11, birdie 12, some six under. Right? And, and I, I just remember thinking, oh my God, I'm six under and I've only got like six holes to play. <laughs> and I walked onto the, the whatever hole, uh, the whatever, third and fourth, and I pipe drive a pipe eight iron to about five feet. I've got to go seven deep. Right, seven hundred playing off twelve. It's unheard of territory for me, and I I lip out horseshoe, and it goes to about I don't know four or five inches, really close. And I was that angry. I walked up and went to tap it in, and I missed it. I I stubbed it. Right, your famous stub, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, oh my god, like what have I just done? And so I tapped it in, and I went back to five under. I walk off the green, and instead of getting really angry, I started to think, oh well, I can bogey the last five and I still yeah. shoot par yeah. right Safety and, and that yeah. absolutely and it's exactly what I did I just train wrecked it coming in I think I shot one over or even for the day so I bogeyed five or six out of the last five whatever it was train wrecked coming in but from that point onwards I had a real hard look at myself and I thought to myself I'm, I'm never ever going to count the holes to go in a negative sense I'm going to count them in a positive sense so Instead of looking at five to go, geez, I could bogey and do okay. Count them and go five to go, geez, I could go 11 under yep. instead of you know the other way. And that's what I did from that point onwards. And wherever I got deep, I kept trying to go deep versus, geez, I've only got two holes to go. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, yeah, so just just try to try to do the best you can to, to, um, to, to think outside the square in a positive sense than, than backing yourself in to be negative. Which Bob Rotella would call staying out of your own way. Um, yeah. Now, now because we, as I say, we like to finish a tale for the tour, have you got a, a nice little uh, crisp tale that can explain a time where you were catting in a group of either being the hunter or the hunted that can uh, just finish off our wonderful high-pressure podcast? Yeah. Well, look, I'll, I'll keep it simple and go back to a, a tale that I've sort of told before, um, which is just Allenby on the three-peat uh, when he won the Australian Open, PGA and the Masters all in three weeks in a row. And I I remember the pressure around him and the media hype um, uh, because no one had ever done that before. And uh, we're playing the PGA. We've got... I think six holes to go and he's in the hunt but we're two or three behind and we had to put the foot down um previous to that during the round we didn't think we'd have to actually because we sort of almost held the lead there for a while and we thought people will start falling over but Matty Goggin was starting to go berserk and we're like we need to really go for it here and Rob was one of the great attacking players. He he he's he's fierce when 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 leading or when trying to to get a lead. And he's got the ball striking to match it up. So we went at every single pin coming in. And I think oh, I don't remember. I think we bought it, birdied four or five out of the last six. Um, and it came down to the last hole. And this chasing kind of mentality, we are tied for the lead. And we know how good Rob is in and. Um, playoffs he'd never lost a playoff one six of them so there was part of the little psyche in my head because up until that point caddying for him I'd never um, been in a playoff uh, funnily enough in the very next week we got in a playoff with Bubba Watson <laughs> but before that I'd never been in a playoff with Rob so I'm like okay I knew his history he's good in playoffs I'm like okay we've got this makes part of the last and he's probably in a playoff and probably gonna win so part of me was confident anyway but then we get on the last and you could sort of hit a smooth five wood down there um or or have a crack at it driver isn't really the play because long bunkers come in but even three would have hit well from rob the bunkers are going to come to play so we walk on the team i'm thinking 
if he asked me what to do here, I'm going to tell him to hit five wood. But he just came on and grabbed three wood straight away, out of the bag. Didn't ask me a thing. And I'm like, right, it's still game on here. His mindset hadn't changed a bit, but mine had a fraction. I'd gone into, well, we're here now rather than let's win it now. And he was in let's win it now. And then it was a real... You know, definitive moment for me to look at the great man and go, no wonder he's a world beater. There wasn't even an inkling of don't win it. It's just win it, right? So he ripped Freewood down the last. And if he blocks it a bit, he's in the bunker and we can't win it. We're losing it, right? Because you can't get out of that trap and make make par really if you're up against the face. So part of me is like, well, it's, it's win it now. <laughs> and he did. He piped Freewood down the last. It goes past the bunkers. And now we've got um, between a seven iron and an eight iron in. Would have been a nice smooth seven and get the job done. Pins cut back left and water's all left. And he just looks at me and he's like, you reckon eight's getting there? And the way he, he usually wears glasses and everything, but I swear to God I could see his eyes <laughs> through those glasses that day. They were fierce. And I'm like, eight iron all day, mate, and blow the doors off it right at it. And he's like, love it. And he just grabbed eight iron. Wind was at our back. And he nuked this thing and it just towered. And as it's going half wind, I'm like, oh, that's even maybe too big because I know players under pressure with um, adrenaline can hit balls a long way. Well, he's just stiffed it to three feet. Um, Crow went berserk and he walks up there and, and uh, knocks the putt in and we win. Um, but purely because he had a chase mentality yep. of I'm winning this. And as I said, why he was one of the great leaders. Fantastic, great story. And on that note, Kipper and Shooter will bring this Tenuous Links podcast uh, to an end. Thanks very much for joining us. I do want to leave with one quote from Bernard Darwin. I sometimes think that players with unsound methods are unjustly criticised for lack of nerve, and conversely, those with sound method are too loudly praised for dauntless courage. Make sure you go to golfbarons.com, click on subscribe to get uh, show and podcast updates, and until next time, Barons, add some swagger to your swing.